You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. How are we doing tonight? Y'all ready for round three of relationship goals? Hey, uh, I don't know if I've introduced myself in a while. I know we've probably got new people here tonight and have the past few weeks, and you're like, who is this weird-looking dude up on stage? Uh, and uh, yeah, so it's, uh, it's, I'm Austin Wadlow. I'm the college pastor here and uh, lead Overflow, and uh, I have the coolest staff, don't I? That was Devin and Zach and Rachel up here earlier, uh, surprising Rachel by not telling her she was coming up here, and I think it kind of caught off guard, but whatever. I, I've got a great staff. I love the team that I get to work here with, uh, all of our student leaders and volunteers. But anyways, it's good to meet you. Uh, I want to know who you are. I want to know your name. So on the count of three, everybody tell me your name. One, two, three. Okay, th- one more time and I'll get it. One, two, three. All right, I got it. So a few years ago, I was, uh, I was preaching at a, at, a, at a youth camp in Florida, like a week-long youth camp for high school and uh, junior high kids. And, uh, you know, so it was one of those things where like every night, every morning I'm preaching and then there was this band there leading worship. And uh, I, I enjoy doing stuff like that um, for a lot of reasons. But one reason is just working with high school and youth. Uh, it's just funny. Junior high kids are weird. And uh, so this band that was leading worship this, this particular week, a band called Cadence, um, they, their, their drummer is a girl. And at one point later in the week, this probably, it was either 7th or 8th grade boy comes up to me. And, uh, you know, just so you know, if you're ever like in this situation, maybe as a counselor, maybe one day you're like teaching or whatever. Uh, by, by the time you get to like the end of the camp, uh, it is, uh, basically smells like must and Axe body spray because junior high kids, kids stop showering. That's anyways, they use Axe body spray. But, uh, uh, this, this musty Axe body spray smelling kid came up to me and he hands me this, this, uh, yellow piece of paper. And it just says, uh, please hand to the drummer of cadence who again is, is a girl. And, uh, I was like, dude, you just want to hand it to her yourself. And he's like, no, 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 you give it to her. And so I, I took it, and I gave it to one of the other band members, and I was like, hey, some little punk kid want to give this to uh, the drummer. And so, uh, so they gave it to her, and, and uh, later that day they came back, and we were like, they were like, did you read what was on that note? And I was like, no, what was on the note? And so they opened the note up, and I got a pic. I snapped a photo of it. Uh, can, y'all, can y'all throw it up there on the screen for me? So here's the note. Uh, now, it looks like it's kind of cropped off the top, and I can't even see the, the bottom of it. Um, I got a picture on my phone. I want to make sure I read this correctly. Um, so at the very top it says, y'all are reading it already. That's good. Okay. So at the top it says this, as you've already read. This is a poem for the drummer from Cadence. It's called Dang. Now if you can't see that far, I'll read it too. It says, the way she drums, Dang. The way she looked good, this guy doesn't have good grammar. The way she looked good, dang. The way light reflects off her face, dang. I don't even think this kid has gone through puberty yet, you know. Her pretty hair, dang. Her beauty and fancy beats, The way she, what does that say? Oh, thank, thank you. The way she talks. The way she plays guitar. She was a multi-instrument person, very versatile. The way she plays guitar. And then the best part. 
Dang, 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 dang. Just dang. And then I think, I don't think you can see at the bottom, it says, mmm, mmm, mm, dang. Now we read that, had a great laugh, and uh, honestly, we were like, dang, that kid is a baller. Uh, now I'm gonna say this. Uh, Weeks, months, years away from reading that the first time and just laughing my face off. You know, when I was, when I was looking at it again, just thinking about, you know, this, this particular sermon, I'm not usually like this, but the, the Lord hit me with this thought. When was the last time that, that my heart was so inclined to write like that for him? I, I know that feels probably like the most ultimate Jesus juke. But, but in all seriousness, we've, we've all done ridiculous things for romance. And we, we've all done ridiculous things for somebody that we're crushing on. But when is the last time that we did something ridiculous for Jesus? We put so much effort and we put so much energy into, into chasing after love or romance. Uh, we put so much thought and time and money into our relationships. Uh, we, put so, or we take so many risks for the, the guy or, or the girl you know, that we're crushing on. We chase so hard after love, but, but we put so little effort into chasing after God. You've got to hear this. Relationships are designed to be a pointer to, not a substitute for, God. Marriage is designed to be a pointer to, not a substitute for, God. In the book, Sex and the Supremacy of God, a guy named Justin Taylor, he wrote this. Sex is designed to be a pointer to, not a substitute for, God. And the reality is our culture has, has, has essentially turned relationships and turned God in, or turned sex into a God. Not much different than these ancient cultures who, who like blatantly worshipped you know, sex gods, love gods. You know, we, We've done the same thing just in a more subtle way. We don't straight up say it's a God, but we treat it in the same way. A TV is, is, is flooded with sex. Like anything you turn on, any, any show you're watching uh, on Netflix or on actual television, it's flooded. You can't even watch a presidential debate without it being flooded with lewd sexual remarks or talks about sexual remarks. I, I think about all the shows that I watched growing up as a kid. Uh, in high school, um, Friends was like my jam. Uh, and, uh, you know, you look at Friends, those of you who are, like, trying to act cool and up-to-date because you're watching it binge-style on Netflix, uh, it's fine. But for those of us who watched it pre-Netflix, when it was actually on TV uh, forever ago, I mean, that show is, I mean, every episode in some way has the theme of sex running throughout it. I, I go even further back to a show y'all probably never heard of, Saved by the Bell. You ever heard of that? So, uh, is that on Netflix, too? Probably. Saved by the Bell. I mean, first of all, I had a huge crush on Katie Kapa- Kelly Kapowski. Uh, but that whole show, I mean, it's, there's the theme of, like, sex and love and romance throughout the whole show. Go back even further to, like, what was definitely my show and kind of maybe still is a little bit Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, I mean, even that show has this theme of, of sex and romance and love going throughout. I mean, if, if you've watched Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like the actual shows, you know that Michelangelo and Raphael are constantly like feuding over. I think her name was Rachel because they're both crushing on Rachel. Um, my favorite was Raphael, but that's a different conversation. 
Uh, oh, April. Who said April? Thank you. It wasn't Rachel. It was April. Thank you. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fan over there. And freshman, too. That's the uh, way to go. TV's flooded with sex. The music industry is flooded with sex. I, I guarantee you, I just about guarantee you, you could go to iTunes any day of the week, look at the number one hit song. Doesn't matter what it is. Almost always, there's some sort of sexual theme there. I did, I did it today just to test my theory. And the number one song on iTunes when I looked today was Closer uh, by the Chainsmokers. And just listen to, uh, I don't even understand half of what this is saying. But listen to the chorus here. I think this is the chorus. It says, so baby, pull me closer in the backseat of your rover that I know you can't afford. Uh, I think what it's saying is in the backseat of your rover like Land Rover. And uh, so baby, pull me closer in the backseat of your rover. We all know what that means and what happens next. Uh, actually, no, we don't because this caught me off guard. Then it says, bite that tattoo on your shoulder. I'm going to assume there's something sexual there, unless that's some phrase that I'm not aware of, pop culture. Uh, Pull the sheets right off the corner of the mattress that you stole from your roommate back in Boulder. We ain't ever getting older. Uh, But you you listen to the song, you you listen to the lyrics, (laughs) and there's like sexual theme in like everything that's on the top of the charts. Music is flooded with, uh, with sex. Internet is ruled by sex. Every second, this is crazy. Every second, it's estimated $3,075 is being spent on pornography. Every second. So, I mean, like, think how many seconds have just gone by. Do the math in your head. Every second, over 28,000 Internet users are viewing pornography. I think that's just for America. Nine out of ten American youth ages 8 to 16 have viewed pornography. Every second, 372 internet users are typing adult search terms into search engines. Every 39 minutes, a new pornographic video is being created just in the United States. I mean, the statistics are nuts. Everybody's fascinated with uh, with sex. If if stats are correct, then somewhere between 60 and 75% of people your age have already had sex. Now think of the implications on on this room, if that statistic is true. That means potentially that number of people, and you know, 98, 99% of the people in this room aren't married, but have had, potentially have had sex. Sex is God in our culture. It's what consumes our thoughts. It's what consumes our, our time. It's what consumes our checkbooks. You know, whether you're spending that money on pornography, spending that money on, you know, tanning beds, spending that money on working out, going to the gym, spending that money on, uh, on, on taking somebody out on dates, whatever it is, it's God in our culture. So here's what I want to do tonight. There are three things that I want to do. One, I want to show you how sex was designed to point us to God. Two, I want to show you uh, how we make ourselves vo- so vulnerable to sexual sin. And then three, I want, to, uh, I want to give a little challenge, a little charge at the end just to the guys. So, so let's start with number one. Sex was designed... Uh, by God to point us to God. Now you got to remember everything we've talked about up to this point. We have to uh, we have to see all of this in light of the bigger story. You know where we are. We've been studying Genesis chapter two. Tonight we're going to get into a little bit of chapter three. Genesis two and three. That's page two of a one thousand page saga. So we got to see this in light of the much bigger story. And what we see, and we talked about this last week, what happens in the beginning only foreshadows what we see eventually is going to happen in the end. And what will happen in the end ultimately brings clarity to what happened in the beginning. But even more than that, what, 
what happened in the beginning, what will happen in the end, ultimately gives meaning to what's happening right now. And that's exactly true in regard to sex. So picking up where we left off last week, last week we left off in verse uh, 24, Genesis 2, verse 24. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So verse 25, this is where we pick up this week. It says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So let's chop that up for a second. It says, And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Uh, this was written in Hebrew, translated here into English. So the Hebrew word for naked is the word arom. Everybody say arom. You didn't say it right. You got to like, it's kind of a mixture of like this sexy rolling your tongue slash this like aggressive growling of a tiger. So uh, arom. Everybody say arom. That's a little bit better. Thanks. Somebody like really rolled it down here. So the Hebrew word for naked is arom. You want to know probably the most accurate way to translate that word arom into English? It's naked. <laughs> Correctly translated, totally naked. So it says the man and the woman were both naked, but it doesn't stop there. It says they were also both not ashamed. So the Hebrew word for not ashamed is the word boosh. Everybody say boosh. That was good. So here's what it's saying. It's saying, the man and the woman were both naked. Boosh. <laughs> really what they're saying is, the man and the woman were both naked and, and they didn't care. Now, now with that being said, I think it's safe to say that they had had sex at this point. I think it's safe to say when it says they were both naked and not ashamed that they were probably having sex at that point. I think it's safe to say that they were probably planning on having sex at that point. I doubt that they were just playing tag in the garden to keep themselves busy. Like maybe tackle, but this picture is obviously describing sex. Now look how the picture drastically changes in just seven verses. So that's verse 25. You look at chapter 3, you get to verse 7. And it says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew uh, that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Um, so I've told you all a few weeks ago that I was in a fraternity. And uh, I, I feel like, I'm not going to do it tonight, I feel like for the new students in here, I need to give some sort of explanation to you know, how that came about in my life. It's a big part of my story, a big part of my testimony. But the fraternity I, I was in was not, follow, it was not like this you know, Christian fraternity. It was, we were not, they were not following Jesus at all. Um, in fact, my senior year, we lost our charter, got kicked off campus. Um, but uh, one year, we had a, one semester, we had this um, mixer party with a sorority from the school that was literally across the street from us. And, uh, you know, mixer parties oftentimes have themes. I don't remember the exact theme, but in some way it was a costume party. And so uh, uh, I think I was, I think this was my sophomore year. I just pledged. So my pledge class got there early to help set up the party. And, uh, and so I show up, and one of my pledge brothers shows up. And, you know, we're supposed to wear costumes. Well, he shows up, no joke. Uh, he's, like, gone out to the front yard and grabbed a leaf and uh, somehow fastened it, like, right there. And then one in the back. And uh, he walks in. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And a uh, little context here. So, like, I, I was the chaplain of this fraternity for, like, three years. And uh, so they kind of knew some of my spiritual background, some of my, my story. So I'm like, dude, what are you doing? He, he, he goes, Wadlow, you of all people should know, man. Like, Adam and Eve, like, I'm Adam. And, uh, and I was like, first of all, I was like, dude, I think you misread, okay? Genesis 3.1, it says, or 3.7, it says, leaves. Okay, not leaf. Uh, 
Also, it says fig leaf, not, I don't, I don't even know what kind of tree that was that you got that leaf from. Obviously, it wasn't a very big tree, but, uh, <laughs> but it says, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So they go from, from being not ashamed in Genesis 2.25 to now covering themselves up, and eventually, as we'll see next week, diving for cover behind bushes. So you have to ask the question, why? Now, I know we skipped some stuff. We'll go back and see it in a second. But why? Why does this happen? And the answer, as you know, is, is sin. Sin and shame are linked together at the core. Prior to sin, they had nothing to hide. But the entrance of sin changed that completely. They go from, from being naked and not caring to being naked and running for cover. I, I think I've shared this story for you before. It's been a while. But uh, how many of you in here have ever been hypnotized before or, or seen a hypnotist? Okay, a couple of y'all. Some of y'all just raising your hand because you want to be cool. Uh, so in high, school, um, in high school, there was some event that my, that my, uh, my school did. What did y'all, did y'all see something flying around? I don't know, whatever. Uh, anyways, uh, in high school, there was this event where they, they did like this, uh, hip, they brought in this hypnotist. It was supposed to be funny or whatever. And so it was like my junior, senior year. And so they got like 14 or 15 of the seniors up on stage. And, and I knew these people. So I'm, I'm, I'm skept- this is the first hypnotist I'd ever seen. I'm super skeptical of this stuff, you know. And, uh, and so I'm thinking, this isn't going to work or they're going to be acting or something. I know these, these dudes up on stage, these girls on stage, though. And I knew that they weren't going to be able to act or I was going to be able to tell if they were acting. They were not acting. Like somehow they got hypnotized. That's a whole other story. But so he hypnotizes them. He starts having them do all this funny, like weird, crazy stuff. And at one point he tells the whole group, there's like 15 of them up on stage. He tells the whole group that uh, they're at this dance party. And he was going to snap his fingers like they're laying there like this in their chair, sitting there like this in their chair. He's, he said he's going to snap his fingers. When he snaps his fingers, they're going to get up. They're going to be on the dance floor in the middle of like most super fly dance party ever in their whole stinking life. And, and they actually were going to play music in the room, like for real, in the room. And so he snaps his fingers. They crank up some like, you know, dance music. And these, these people get up and, and start dancing on the stage. And... Um, I'm just going to be honest with you, like the high school I went to was mostly white people, so it looked like 15 people having a seizure up on stage. <laughs> but, uh, so they start like dancing up on stage. And, um, and then he snaps his fingers again, they cut the music, and so they're like standing there in this hypnotized state, state whatever, and they're kind of like their eyes closed. And so he walks up, he does all these weird things with it. He walks up to this, uh, this one dude at one point, and, never mind, I won't tell that story. Fast forward through that, and uh, he, I got off track. I forgot what I was talking about here. So he tells them, all right, look, in a second, I'm going to snap my fingers, and uh, you're all still at the dance party, but now it's a dance party with a twist. Now you're all naked. Now, literally, they were not naked. You got that part right. Okay, this guy wasn't like a total perv or anything. Uh, but he's like, okay, now you're at this dance party, and you're all going to think that you're naked. So I'm going to snap my fingers. You're still at the dance party, in the middle of the dance floor, dancing, and you're naked. So he snaps his fingers, and music gets turned back on again, so they kind of start dancing again, and uh, it was hilarious what started to happen, because these people all think they're naked. They think each other's naked, so what happened is they start dancing, and they start realizing, oh my gosh, I'm naked, even though they really weren't, and so half of them just like run off, you know, backstage. A couple of them literally jump off the stage, run off the aisle, and out the back of the auditorium we're in. Uh, One dude, they had these like, you know those, uh, those metal chairs that fold 
kind of old school chairs. They had about 15 of those on stage. One dude runs over, like big old football player dude, runs over, grabs two chairs, and just like, it was the coolest thing ever. He just goes, bam, and they like fold it shut, and he does this and runs off stage. But, so everybody clears the stage, but there's one dude who didn't. This one dude, he's like standing there dancing, and uh, I don't know what this is, uh, but uh, I don't go to clubs. Uh, <laughs> anyways. So he's the last one up there. Everybody's run off, and, and he's, you can tell he's like, why is everybody running off? And I guess he sees in his mind that they're all naked. And uh, so he kind of stops, and he looks down, and then he looks up, and he just goes, huh. And just uh, and keeps dancing. He doesn't go anywhere. just securing himself, I guess. Um, but I love that story, and I love that that happened, because years later, I, I look at that and think, man, what a perfect picture. I mean, remember, we have to see everything that we're reading, everything that is happening in, in light of the bigger story. Like this, Genesis 2, is only page 2 of a thousand-plus page saga. And again, what happens in the beginning only foreshadows what happens in the end. What happened in the end ultimately brings clarity to what happened in the beginning, and what happened in the beginning, what will happen in the end, brings meaning to what's happening right now. And so here's what you need to see. One day, all of us will stand fully exposed before God. We will not be able to hide anything from Him. All of the layers that we use, the layers of pride, the layers of you know, good looks, or nice clothes, or fancy cars, or money, or achievements, or you know, what friends, whatever it is, popularity, Twitter followers, whatever it is, all the layers that we use to cover up who we really are on the inside are going to be stripped away. And everything about us will be fully exposed. And the only way that we will be able to stand there naked, fully exposed, not ashamed before God is if we have first been married to God in Christ. Now, I don't know if you're seeing this yet as we dig deeper and deeper and deeper into this topic of marriage and relationships and sex and dating and all that stuff. But it should be becoming more and more clear and obvious that marriage is the most perfect picture that God has given us of the gospel. And the fact that it is the most perfect picture that God's given us of the gospel, that leads to a really important realization. Because marriage is the most clear and perfect picture that God has given us to help us understand the gospel, doesn't it make sense that Satan would do whatever he can to destroy it? And so you look, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, now backing up. So we see the man and his wife are both naked, not ashamed. They've just gotten married. Now we see the sexual... Uh, implication or implied in the relationship. Verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now, it says the, the serpent was more crafty. That's not like arts and craftsy, okay? That's like shrewd, manipulative, deceitful, uh, deceptive, destructive. And there's two big lies that Satan is successfully feeding our culture. One is that, that marriage is optional for sex, Another is, is that sex is just physical. So quickly, I want to look at those two lies. First is marriage is just optional for sex. The truth is marriage is essential for sex. Remember last week, Ephesians 5, 31 to 32, we looked at these. It says, therefore, uh, Paul, he quotes what we're seeing in Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The way that we view marriage is a direct reflection of our understanding of the gospel. 
Really, the way you view relationships and sex is a direct reflection of your understanding of the gospel. I quoted Tim Keller last week, a pastor up north. He says, the gospel helps us to understand marriage, and marriage helps us to understand the gospel. This is the secret, that the gospel of Jesus and marriage explain one another, that when God invented marriage, he already had the saving work of Jesus Christ in mind. So a lot of people in our culture, they're saying, well, why marriage? I mean, you've seen this, like in what's happened in the past couple of years, but just even day-to-day conversation culture as you're discussing things in the relationship that you're in. A lot of times the conversation's coming up, like why marriage? What's the point of even getting married? And listen, if that's you, then graciously I want to say to you, you, you don't yet understand the gospel. Because if Satan can get you to believe the lie that marriage is unessential to you being united to a man or a woman... In other words, if Satan can get you to believe the lie that marriage is unessential to you being united physically, sexually with a man or woman, then he can get you to believe the lie that Jesus is unessential to you being united with God. And we'll see this more next week, but as soon as, <clears throat> as, soon as Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden, they were kicked out of the garden and cut off from their relationship with God. And that doesn't change until... Years later, when Jesus comes to restore that relationship through the cross. The point that I'm getting at is the only way that we'll be able to stand naked and unashamed, in other words, fully exposed for who we really are on the inside before God, is if we've first been married to God in Christ. And knowing that everything that's happening right now is only a foreshadow of the bigger thing to come, marriage is is not optional for sex. Marriage actually is essential to sex. In addition to that, another lie that Satan says is sex is only physical. But the truth is, sex is not just physical, it's spiritual. I had a student ask me uh, something along the lines this week. Uh, she and some of her friends were talking about, you know, is sex a form of, is sex a form of worship? Maybe this will kind of answer that question. I maybe shouldn't have said that. That may be a gets more explanation, but whatever. Sex is not just physical, it's spiritual. John Piper in, in the book Sex and the Supremacy of God said, God made, made us powerfully sexual so that he would be more deeply knowable. We were given the power to know each other sexually so that we might have some hint of what it will be like to know Christ supremely. So this story will probably help you understand what I'm not saying, okay? A few years ago, I was uh, helping lead at this conference called Collegiate Week. Uh, some of you have been before. Uh, the past few years, I've kind of been on the on the planning team for this, this thing that happens in New Mexico. Lots of students from around the country come to New Mexico for a week. It's an incredible conference. Um, and uh, they haven't done this in a while, but they used to break up the entire group into like four or five massive breakout groups. And after the main worship sessions where somebody would preach and teach, then we'd get into these big groups of like 300, 400 students. And within those big groups, they'd be in smaller groups, and somebody would be at the front, and they would uh, essentially facilitate small group discussion that would then come back to the big group, and we'd discuss what we'd heard in the big message in the main, in the main worship times. Um, so I used to lead one of those groups, and on, I don't remember what the sermon was about that day. I don't remember what in the world we were talking about. But I had these students uh, discussing something. And I'd have them discuss it in small groups, and then I would give them a chance, a couple of people to stand up in front of, you know, these 300, 400 people and, and kind of share what they'd been talking about. And this one dude gets up. And again, I don't remember what the conversation was about, but, but this one dude gets up and he goes, here's basically what's happening. Really confidently he says this. You know those guys 
like they talk super confident, and because they talk so confident, everybody's like, oh, he, what is he saying? They want to listen, and they just like agree with whatever he says. He's one of those guys. Stands up, and he says, here's what this is saying. What it's saying is, we have sex with God. Now, I'm up there at the front thinking, oh, my gosh. What do I do? Like, how do I? Because some people are like, try not to laugh like kindergartners, and then, including me. And then some people are also like terrified at what he just said, and some people are going, yeah, like, preach, yeah. <laughs> Something, how do, what do I do, you know? And so I, once I kind of like regained my composure on the insides, I was like, all right, look, everybody, here's what I think he was trying to say, which is not at all what he was actually trying to say, but here's what I think he's trying to say. What I, said he's think, what I think he's trying to say is that, is that God calls us into an intimate relationship with him. So sex isn't just physical, it's spiritual. Now listen again to what John Piper says. He says, God made us powerfully sexual so that he would be more deeply knowable. We were given the power to know each other sexually, in other words, in such a deep, intimate way so that we might have some hint of what it will be like to know Christ supremely. So to have sex is to know and be known. Consider the terminology that the Bible uses. Matthew chapter 1, verse 24 and 25, it says, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, Mary, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. It's, it's, it's talking about sex. In other words, he knew her not. He did not have sex with her until he gave birth to the son, who we know is Jesus Christ. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. So a few verses after what we're studying right now. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, their son. Now, some of y'all might read that and be like, damn, that's crazy. They like, sat down and had this conversation, get to know each other, and then bam, she was pregnant? What? That's nuts. It's, it's not saying they sat down and had a conversation, got to know each other, and somehow Eve got pregnant. It's saying they knew each other. They had sex with each other, this deep way of intimately knowing each other. That's why they use this term, to know. And you see this further in Scripture, but in the context of our relationship with God. We were created to know and be known by God. Not sexually, but the point is intimately, in a deep way. John 17, 3 says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I, Jesus, he says, will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now this is eternal life, Jesus says, that they may know God. That they may have an intimate, close, deep relationship with God. Here's the point. Sex was designed by God to point us to God. God gave us this way of deeply knowing our spouse to give us just a little bit of a hint of how God wants to deeply know us. But again... Marriage is essential to sex. It's not optional. Because it's a shadow of the bigger point, and that is the only way to truly, deeply, intimately know God is if you've first been married to God in Christ. So the first thing I want you to see is sex was designed by God to point us to God. second thing I want you to see is this. We're most vulnerable to sexual sin when all we have is a secondhand relationship with God. You are most vulnerable to sexual sin when all you have is a secondhand relationship with God. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. 
He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and, and he ate. Uh, there's a few quick observations that I, that I want to make here. Observation number one is this. Satan shows up out of nowhere. Like, we get no warning that he's coming. He just shows up. Everything is, like, going perfectly in the garden, and then he just he shows up. It's not like he gives heads up or gives warning, like, hey, guys, I'm here. Coming to wreck your life. He doesn't say anything like that. He just appears out of nowhere. Just shows up. This is how Satan works. Listen, Satan will do everything he can to pull you and your spouse apart after marriage. Leslie, Satan's going to do everything he can to pull you and me apart after marriage. Exhibit A, right here. Genesis 2, 24 and 25, they get married. Genesis 3, 1, boom. Satan immediately shows up and he goes to work on Eve. And essentially on Adam too. The reverse of that is true as well, though. Satan will do everything that he can to push you and the person you're dating together before marriage. He wants to do whatever he can to destroy marriage. Whether that's on the front end or on the back end. Because again, if he can destroy marriage, he can eliminate the most perfect picture that God has given us of the gospel. So he just shows up out of nowhere. Don't announce he's coming. That's how he works. You've got to be aware. Observation number two. Satan asks manipulative questions. Go back to uh, that second part of verse one, the second paragraph there that starts. It says, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? First of all, look at how he refers to God. This is the first time since the creation of man in Genesis 2-3 that God is not referred to as Lord God. Here he just says God. Satan is so manipulative, and he starts with his manipulation here with Eve by diminishing the holiness, diminishing the power, diminishing the authority of who God is. I mean, can I tell you, I, th- I, think, I think one of the big reasons that sexual sin is so rampant in groups like this uh, among professing Christians is because we have such a small view of who God is. I think we struggle so much with sexual sin because we have so little reverence for God. We, we, we refer to him as our bro when he's not our bro. He is our Lord. Satan has diminished our view of God. He has ripped away the most important title that belongs to him, and that is Lord. He's so manipulative. Second way he manipulates here is he says, so did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He, he starts his question to get the, by saying, did God really say this? Like, that's his trademark. That's how he works. Like, doesn't that sound familiar? He always starts, I mean, you're in the moment, and he, you're starting to wrestle, you know, with those voices in your head or those feelings in your heart. And it's always something like the question of, like, did God really say that, that we can't have sex before we're married? Did God really say that we can't have oral sex? I mean, is that even sex at all? 
Did God really say that we can't feel each other up? I mean, come on. Like, that's, did God really say that that's going to hurt us spiritually? Did God really say that's going to hinder like, our relationship? Did God really say that stuff? Did God really say we shouldn't live together before we get married? Satan, he asks these manipulative questions. Observation number three is Eve engages in the conversation. You look at verse, uh, verse 2. It says, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So Eve engages in the conversation. James 4, 7 says this, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Entertaining a conversation with the devil is like the worst thing that we can do. We need to recognize his manipulative mannerisms and then run. Did God really say, run? Don't hang around. Run. And, and, I mean, you look at what happens. She loses the battle. In fact, she gets manipulated by the way that Satan refers to God because she turns back. She doesn't say, Lord God. She just says God. He's already got her. You know he's already got her just by the way she talks about God. Diminished view of God. The title, the most important title, Lord, has been ripped away. Observation number four, Satan sets the hook. Actually, you also see this. She actually adds to what God says. She doesn't just say what God had said in verses, what, 15, 16. She actually adds to it. That's not that important. But observation number four, Satan sets the hook and and reels Eve in. So you look at verse uh, four through six. It says, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It's just like fishing. Satan, he's throwing that lure out in in front of Eve and he's just dangling it there. I mean, the lure is just, did God really say that? Like, that's kind of, you know, if you go fishing and, and you, you, you work the lure just right, it gets the fish's attention. He's like, whoa, what was that? You kind of dangle it just right, work it just right. He's like, that, that fish now has a, has a serious situation to evaluate here. Does he swim closer and check it out, or does he swim away? Uh, this, this weekend, Leslie and I, we, uh, Friday, we, we kind of escaped. We snuck out of town, and we went and found us a cabin in the woods. You can do that when you're married. Uh, we found us a cabin in the woods, and uh, we, uh, we uh, hung out, and we also fished. And uh, when we were fishing, we didn't have a whole lot of success fishing, but we both caught one fish. Um, not a lot of success. They weren't even good fish, but I do want to at least point out that, can we get that picture up there? Uh, my fish was bigger than her fish. <laughs> Anyways, that's all I wanted to show you. Uh, but thinking about fishing, you know, when we're, when, when we're out there fishing, dangling that lure in front of the fish, it was, my fish was bigger than yours, babe. It, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, you put that lure there, and that fish now, I mean, if you've, if you've done much fishing, you know that fish gets closer to it. Sometimes they kind of peck at it just to see, and they'll swim off because they realize it's not real. But a lot of times fish will just run at it and sink their mouth around it, and you feel that. And so what do you do after you feel the fish on your line? What's the first thing you do, fishermen? Yeah, you got to set that hook. And once you set the, set the hook, it's over. You're going to reel that thing in. And, you know, we were not fishing to keep, but some fish to keep. And then you clean that thing up and eat it. And that fish dies. 
It's just like fishing. Satan sets the hook and reels Eve in. So here's the big question. Why was Eve so vulnerable to being fooled by Satan? What is it that made her so vulnerable? Let me show you. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So what was it that made Eve so vulnerable to being fooled by Satan? Go back to verse 16. And the Lord God commanded who? The man. Who, who is hearing this firsthand? The command. Who is hearing the command firsthand? Adam was. The man was. Eve wasn't even alive at this point. She only heard this command secondhand through Adam. Which goes back to the point of we're most vulnerable to sexual sin when all we have is a secondhand relationship with God. Romans chapter 1, verse 28 and 29 says, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Listen, do you know what God said, or are you just going off of what I'm telling you he said? Do you know what God said, or are you just going off of what your parents said? Or do you know what God said, or are you, just, are you just going off of, I don't know, what you're hearing around, friends, teachers, whatever? Like, it's great that you come to Overflow. It's great that so many of you are in communities. It's great that you, maybe you go to church on Sunday morning. But nothing can replace a first-hand relationship with God through His Word. And all of that, you know, sitting here, hearing me preach this to you, hearing what other people say, listening to podcasts of your favorite preachers or whatever, all of that is receiving God's Word second-hand. It's already been processed and digested food. Some of it's been processed and digested incorrectly. You need a first-hand relationship with Jesus. Without one, you are extremely vulnerable. So then we come back to these questions. Did God really say some of this stuff? Did he really say you shouldn't have sex before you're married? Did he really say you shouldn't live together? Did he really say that stuff? Listen, how are you to know what God really says about those questions unless you have a first-hand relationship with him? I mean, can I just be honest with you for a second? And I don't want this to come across harsh, just hopefully grace-filled truth. If you did have a first-hand relationship with him, you would so quickly realize how foolish it is that those questions are even on the table. And the fact that so many in this room probably have justified those things in your minds, it reveals that if you know Jesus at all, you don't know him very well. We are most vulnerable to sexual sin when all we have is a secondhand relationship with God. All right, last thing, we're going to move quick. To the guys in the room. I want every guy in here to look up. The guys in the room, simply put, it's time for us, it's time for you to man up. Now, I want to first start here and say this. I know most of you don't have dads who have modeled for you what it looks like to be a godly man. And for that, I want to say that, uh, thankfully, we have a Father in heaven, God the Father, who graciously can teach us what it looks like to be a godly man, even when we don't have an earthly father who's modeled that for us. We have a... Heavenly Father, who graciously forgives us where we fall short of being a godly man and then graciously transforms us into one if we allow him to do so. And all that being said, I want you 
to look with me, Genesis 3.1, starting where it says, He said to the woman, He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. How many times do you see the word you in there? Seven times. You know what's interesting is every time it's not singular. In fact, none of the times it's singular. Every time it's plural. Why do you think it's plural? Why do you think it's plural? Eve wasn't alone. Yeah, Adam was right there with her. In fact, go, go to verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Where was Adam this whole time? Right next to Eve. The problem is he didn't do anything. The problem is he stood there in silence. Problem is he stood there passively. Fellas, we are too passive towards sin. Fellas, we are too passive towards our God-given call to lead. Now, I'm not saying that 100% of the blame for sexual sin falls on you, but I do want you to see this. Verse 7 says, And the eyes of both were opened. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Basically, they dove behind bushes. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the who? To the man. Listen, fellas. God's going to come after you first. He's going to hold you responsible. Why? Ephesians 5, 25-27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. He's going to come to you first because he called you to lead. Do you realize that you're going to be held accountable for how well you spiritually lead your spouse one day? Fellas, do you realize that you're even going to be held accountable for how, you, how well you spiritually lead the girls that you date between now and then? And that creates a huge problem for, for one of your favorite phrases when you're alone with your girlfriend, trying to be all, you know, whatever. You say, look, babe, I'm just going to keep on going until you tell me to stop. Fellas, that's passive. Guys, that's, that's pathetic of us. You're being no different than Esau who sold his birthright for a pot of stew. You were selling your God-given call to be a man and to lead for one moment of pleasure. 1 Timothy 2 verse 8, Paul writes this, I want the men to pray in every place lifting up holy hands. Asking this question of the guys, what does the word holy mean? What does it mean? Set apart. What else? Perfect. What else? Holy. What does it mean? Huh? Pure. Is that what you said? Pure? Somebody else. Let me hear from the fellas. Righteous. 
Righteous? Anything else? Sacred? To be holy. To be set apart. Pure. Different. Like you should look different than everyone else. It's kind of like those worksheets that you would get in the first grade and it would say circle the one that doesn't belong and it would have like a picture of a dog, a cat, a hamster, and a shovel. Like, you should look different. You're called to be set apart. Listen, Jesus is the one who makes your soul holy. Jesus is the one who makes your heart righteous, set apart before God. But just because you might be able to call yourself a Christian because by God's grace through faith, Jesus has put you in right standing before God, it does not mean that your hands and your actions reflect the set-apart status of your soul. Paul is saying that with your actions, you should pursue holiness. He's saying, fellas, with your actions, you should pursue purity. With your actions, you should pursue things that are different than what the rest of the world pursues. You should be different. So to the men in here, it is time for us to man up and lead the charge by being set apart. I know we have dudes in here who value good looks and muscles. I know we have dudes in here who value money and success, but where are the men who value holiness? Where are the men who value purity? Listen again to what Paul says. He says, I want the men to pray in every place, lifting up holy hands. I don't don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, but I kind of do. So every guy stand up for a second. Every guy stand up. Now again, hear this, fellas. Paul says, I want the men to pray, lifting up holy hands. I want every guy in here to lift both your hands high up in the air. Let me ask you this question. What if, what if your hands worked hard every day in class or at your job for the glory of God? What if your hands worked hard every day in class now so that you could get a great job later And then later on, what if your hands worked hard every day at your job to make a lot of money? But not to make a lot of money for your own glory, but to make a lot of money for his glory, to engage in his mission. Fellas, what if one day when you get married, your hands served your wife every day in such a way that your relationship with her actually reflected that Ephesians 5 relationship that Paul talks about, Jesus and the church? Fellas, what if one day when you have children, your hands embraced your children with compassion and with love, with the purpose of hopefully raising them up to one day be disciples and followers of Jesus Christ? Fellas, what if, what if your hands served God by serving his church? Fellas, what if your hands worked hard in the weight room? But not in such a way that brought attention to yourself, but in such a way that opened up opportunities for you to bring attention to Jesus. Guys, what if your hands spent more time embracing the Word of God than embracing an Xbox controller? What if your hands never clicked on a pornographic website again? What if your hands never felt up A girl, a woman who is not your wife ever again. I mean, can you imagine what would happen? Look at all the hands in this room. Can you imagine what would happen on your campus 
Look around. Can you imagine what would happen just in this community, in this city? Can you imagine what would happen in our country? Can you imagine what would happen in our world? It's Jesus who makes your heart holy, but you are responsible for your hands. You can sit down. You cannot storm the gates of hell with your pants around your ankles and your hands up your girlfriend's skirt. All God is looking for is a few faithful men. Just a few who he can use to be catalysts for change on our campuses. Catalysts for change in this world. He's not looking for all stars. He's looking for faithful, ordinary dudes. The question is, where are they? So to the guys in the room, I just want to challenge you to man up. Lead the charge by being set apart. Three things tonight. Sex was designed by God to point us to God. Two, we're most vulnerable to sexual sin when all we have is a second-hand relationship with God. Three, guys, it's time for us to man up and lead the charge by being set apart. One last thing. The reality is most of us in this room have failed. Most of us in this room have a broken past. Which leads to the question, what if I've already screwed up? What if my past is broken? What if I've already screwed up sexually? What if I didn't even have the choice? I know there's people in here, you were raped, you were molested, you were abused. Or maybe present tense, that's happening. Against your will. I've had those conversations with students. So some of you, it's like, what if I didn't even have the choice? I've got this broken past. I've got this stuff. Some of you are thinking, well, what if I've got all this stuff to hide? If that's you, and that's what you're thinking, you have to come back. You have to come back because what we're going to see further in Genesis is absolutely incredible. But for tonight, here's what I want you to see. One, who is the God of your life? Have you made relationships your God? Have you made sex your God? Have you made pornography your God? Two, for some of you, all you've ever had is a secondhand relationship with God. And you remember week one. We must first have a relationship with God. We must first have a beginning because our hearts, just like in creation, in, in the beginning God created out of nothing. It was, it was a vast, dark, empty, lifeless space before God began with it. Same is true of our hearts. Our hearts are vast, empty, dark, lifeless until God begins with us. If all you have is a secondhand relationship with God, then you, don't, you probably don't have a relationship with him at all. And if that's the case, that means you don't stand much of a chance in this battle to be pure. So here's the third thing. Though for every guy and every girl in this room, it's time for all of us to grow up and start acting like the men and the women that God's called us to be. I want to lay down again this specific charge to the fellas. Fellas, what are you doing with your hands? What are you doing with your actions? Some of you, you need to confess, and I know that's completely contrary to your nature. It's completely contrary to my nature. We, we are, ooh, man. Some of you, you need to get on your knees in humility and confess. I was just reading in Isaiah yesterday morning. No, maybe it's this morning. And God was prophesying through Isaiah just talking about how he, he, he comes to destroy the prideful. Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Some of you need to humble yourselves and acknowledge the sin, confess it, and then commit to following Christ. I want to close with a poem that I wrote. It may be a little cheesy, but it's called Dang. It goes like this. The sin in my life, dang. 
Yet the way God loves me, dang. The way God has pursued me, dang. The way God has forgiven me of all the disgusting junk that I've done, dang. The way God can take something that's dead like me and give it life, dang. The way God has never given up on me, dang. The way God continues his work in me, dang. Dang, 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 dang. Just dang. Mm-hmm, dang. Let me pray for us. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.